Good morning, everyone. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we welcome you here today as you welcome us. And we pray, Lord, this morning that you would move in our hearts. Um, Lord, may the same passion that Paul experiences in his life that we read in this letter, may that be our passion too, as your people in your church. So Lord, this morning would you open our hearts, help us to understand your word, help us to be transformed by it and live differently. pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a few things I have to get off my chest this morning. The first is I'm tired. I don't know if anyone else is tired, but I was, I was a little, yeah, there's a, hand, a couple hands up there, parents of similarly aged children to mine. Um, Allison asked me when I was sitting there, are you, are you anxious? I'm like, I think I'm just really tired. So if I'm fidgety or if I lose my train of thought, you now know why. The second is uh, it's supposed to snow and I'm not okay with that. So hopefully we're on the same page there. And the third thing I want to get off my chest is we're going to Omaha later this week for a night, which will be fun for spring break. So hopefully you all have something going on if you've got kids um, and have some fun things planned. Um, I wasn't thinking about basketball when I scheduled that trip. So pray for me that Iowa doesn't play during our zoo trip on Friday. That's all I ask. So all of that has nothing to do with the sermon this morning. So. Uh, today we are picking up in Romans chapter 11, and uh, we are focusing on this section that Paul has spent a whole lot of time talking about his heart for Israel and for his people. And he talks about uh, God and Israel's relationship. He talks about the Israelites, the Jewish people, and the Gentiles, their relationship. And he talks about God and the Gentiles as well. And he goes into quite some depth about Israel in particular over these last few chapters. So we're going to, uh, hopefully today, we'll bring together Paul's theology a little bit more um, and have a deeper understanding of that. And so that we can live and believe accordingly today as well. And um, as I said in my prayer this morning, Paul's, Paul's heart for Israel is, is bold and clear. Um, and um, I want us to, to have that in mind as we study this morning. Um, how can our own hearts, how can our own passion be the same as Paul's? It's the same Holy Spirit that filled Paul when he wrote these things that fills us as his body today. And so I want us to be moved to passion for the gospel. So for our Romans text specifically this morning, um, instead of going through verse by verse like I have been through most of this series, there's a couple things I want to focus on this morning. The first one of these is this metaphor, this idea of grafted branches. What does this mean? To engraft means that you cause parts from two different plants to grow together. And, for example, you could graft in a cherry branch to a plum tree. Um, after my sermon at the first service, somebody came up and said their son has over 80 different apple varieties on one tree. Because over the years, he's grafted in branch after branch, and I thought that was a perfect example. I wish I had a picture of that tree. Um, growing up, that just seemed weird. It's like, your arm might not do so well on my body, right? Um, there's, there's more complicated things going on, but you can do some really incredible things through grafting branches. And then Paul is talking about grafting olive branches, which was a common tree for their time, and olives come up in the scriptures quite a bit as well. So if there's two different living things that can be grafted to grow together... This is significant because it tells us there's more than one tree, right? There's more than one tree. 
Paul also uses this metaphor of roots and a tree to go with the grafted branches. In verse 16, he says, if the root is holy, so are the branches. It's like Paul is painting this picture of this great tree, this holy tree that is God's tree. A tree that was rooted through Abraham and Isaac and the covenant. A tree that was grown through David, through the judges, through the prophets. And Paul's fundamental, fundamental belief here is not that God has chopped down that tree. He hasn't. That tree still exists. That tree still lives. He didn't chop it down to plant a new one. Um, that tree is holy and alive and well because the things that God plants, God maintains, right? In other words, God still has his covenant people. That's Paul's major argument here with the people, his people, his family, his friends, his ethnic people, the Jewish people. God still has his people in mind and in heart, and he wants them to know the love revealed through Jesus Christ. God still loves his people of Israel. So Paul continues in verse 17 here this morning, talking about branches being broken off, and I'll read that section for you. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. So we have a tree and we have branches that have been broken off, snapped off. And these are the people of Israel who rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Very simple. And maybe there are people who have yet to hear that Jesus is the Messiah and be confronted and faced with that reality of the gospel message. In Paul's time, there were many who had heard and not believed. There were many who heard and did believe. And there were many yet who had not heard, as Paul writes these pages. And then we have these new branches that are grafted in. And these are the Gentiles, of whom Paul is called to spend a majority of his ministry working with and proclaiming the gospel to. Now, Paul's talking to the Gentiles here. He says, do not be arrogant towards those who have fallen away. You are not superior to them, but you are part of this great tree, so be humble. And just because you have been grafted in doesn't mean that you cannot be broken off too. There's some truths in here we don't like to talk about. That's one of them. A Gentile grafted in can still be broken off because of unbelief, right? So Paul here gives a couple of pretty significant warnings to the people he's writing to, to the body of Christ. And the first one of these is that we should not be arrogant towards God's covenant people who are not following Jesus. Um, at the time, it was very easy for those who accepted Jesus to kind of pass over the old and say, you missed your chance. We have something better than you. And as humanity, we're always one-upping each other anyway, right? So if we come to experience some great truth and somebody else refuses to listen or to hear it or to accept it, 
we view ourselves as more enlightened. And it seems like this was a problem in the church in Rome. Paul was writing to this Roman church who was made up of both Jews, converted, and Gentiles. And there were a whole lot of people around them that had rejected the gospel as well. So don't be arrogant towards those who are not following Jesus. In fact, we probably shouldn't be arrogant towards anyone, right? In the body of Christ. Did we save ourselves? No. Arrogance from the church or from Christians doesn't have a place in the kingdom of God. And it doesn't have a place on this holy tree that God has given us to be grafted into. And I'd say far too many non-Christians in our culture and over time have been shown arrogance by the church or by Christians. And that shouldn't be our story, should it? We need to walk humbly. So that's one warning against arrogance. The other great warning here is that even a grafted branch can be broken off. It is belief in Christ for Paul that grafts one in. And we um, drove that home a couple weeks ago, how much Paul values belief in Jesus and in the resurrection. John 3.16 values the same thing. We get this consistent message through the scriptures that faith and believing are very important. Belief... um, So so for Paul, it's belief that grafts one in, belief by the power of the Holy Spirit and God's grace. It's made possible through Jesus' death on the cross. And if a branch is broken off for any reason, this is a sadness to God, right? God created us to be in relationship with him. That's our identity. It's not something to be celebrated or cheered if somebody gets broken off of the body of Christ, is it? In this season that we are in as as God's church and in our culture, I've had a lot of opportunities to talk to other Christian leaders um, from around the upper Midwest and pastors. Um, It's been a really unique time to try to lead a ministry. Um, It's been a unique time to be an American. It's been a unique time in so many different ways. And one of the prevailing beliefs that I hear over and over again is that... um, What's happening in our culture today, whether politically or whether with a pandemic or other issues going on, secularization, what's happening today is going to cause many who are currently in the church to leave it. There'll be this pruning of sorts. Um, Being a Christian in this country has been fairly easy thus far, right? Maybe not exactly for all of you. Maybe you've had struggles in your own story. But it is a country that over the last 200 years has valued... Christianity, and that sentiment is changing. So it's been easy to be a Christian, it's been comfortable, and it's going to get a lot harder. And it might get better for a while, but the trajectory that we're going to is harder. That's what I think. And a lot of people aren't going to be up for that challenge, because it won't be comfortable anymore. But if somebody leaves the church, or falls away, or turns their back on Christ, this is never to be celebrated even if we don't like that person, even if we think they're just doomed to it through their own decisions. God desires us to show his love and grace and zeal for redemption even to those who fall away. Again, we don't want to be arrogant or condemning. That's not what God has called us to do. He has called us to show love and grace and proclaim the gospel even to those who have heard it and turned away. So let's keep that in mind too. We don't want to take on this arrogant attitude, um, but the reality is there are branches that can be broken off. 
And Paul says even the Gentiles who have been grafted in have a risk. So moving on. Paul, in the same vein of thought here, talks about kindness, God's kindness and God's severity or sternness. And again, we don't like to talk about God's sternness or severity either, right? So Paul writes in verse 22, Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will also will be cut off. So God is very kind, right? How kind is God? He gave his one and only son to take our place, to die for our sins so that we may be restored to relationship. How kind is God? He gives us the breath of life. He sustains us. He provides for us. He fills us with his presence, with the power of the Holy Spirit. God is very kind. Psalm 69, 16 says, Answer me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. According to the greatness of your compassion, turn to me. I like this tree metaphor, and I like to view God as the gardener. And he is a kind gardener, and anyone who comes to faith and belief through Christ can easily be grafted into this holy tree. And God is happy to do it, and he is able to do it, and he's very kind to do it. And on the other hand, God is also stern. Philippians 2.12 says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Where does the fear and the trembling come from, right? Like, God is a big God. And we are quite small in his presence. But there's also this problem of sin. Why do we work it out with fear and trembling? Because God is also holy. God is kind, but God is also holy. And God means what he says. And sin is not something that God wants or likes. So this is, again, the part we don't like to think about, but it's necessary. There is a need for pruning or for withered branches to be removed because God's holiness matters and God's promises matter. And as Paul wrote chapter after chapter in the beginning of Romans, God's law still matters. And for many in our culture and in our world, people live outside of God's promises. They choose other things than God's promises. They live outside of his law. They live outside of his holiness. And many, Paul writes, who were part of this great tree persisted in unbelief. Now God wants those people to be grafted back in, right? God wants those who are in unbelief to come to belief and be grafted into this tree. Jews and Gentiles, Americans and non-Americans, Scandinavians and non to this beautiful tree. And he's passionate about it. Paul goes on to talk about the mystery of Israel's salvation. And Paul seems to maybe be pointing to this future time when God's covenant people will acknowledge Jesus as their Savior, and many will become part of this great tree once again. Now there's different scholarly thoughts on this. Is this something that's ongoing over time? Are we in the midst of it? Is this a different sort of bigger event in the, in the years to come? We don't really know the answer perfectly to that. But regardless, we see reflected in Paul's heart here the heart of God for Israel, the heart of God for his covenant people, which God has not abandoned. Even though Jesus made a way for all, God and Paul definitely still have a heart for the people of Israel. 
And I believe that is something that we are to take on in our lives as well. We want our hearts to become more and more consistent with God's heart. So may our heart for God's people of old be just as inclined to salvation as Paul's heart was when he wrote these pages. This section of chapter 11 wraps up with a doxology of sorts. Now imagine there's somebody you love dearly and you've just spent pages and pages pouring out your heart for them and the realities of their situation. Maybe that's your friends or your family. Maybe that's your ethnic heritage like it was for Paul here. Maybe it's even just a general desire to see God's work and grow and to see people come to know Jesus Christ. But Paul has really hit on the reality here that there's some tension. There's some tension. There's some brokenness still. There's unbelief. And yet his heart overflows here. And he writes, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Even though Paul knows that so many of the people he has a heart for are not part of this great holy tree, he recognizes God's promises and he draws hope and strength and joy from those things. Paul's heart overflows with praise. His heart overflows with faith in God's plans and God's goodness, even in the midst of the broken off branches sitting at his feet. Even in his own uncertain future, knowing that he is being persecuted to the point of death. So where does this get real for us today? Where does the rubber meet the road? We have a lot to think about. Paul talks about avoiding arrogance, he talks about not forgetting God's covenant people. He talks about these branches and this great tree that is holy, that signifies God's family and God's people. But there's this danger of unbelief, of being broken off. And we're also called to remember God's goodness and sternness. And through this all, we see Paul's passion and his heart overflow. How, how can he do this, Right? Why does his heart overflow in praise? Is it because Paul has all the answers to the problems? No, and neither do we, right? Is it because Paul thinks that he'll be able to work really hard and graft in all these branches himself? Also not true. Paul knows God's promises. His foundation is Jesus Christ, even in the uncertainty. And Paul knows that God is good, for his promises, that God fulfills his promises, meaning that God has not forsaken the people that Paul has a heart for, and that God has made a way for all, Jew and Gentile, to share in this great tree, this body of Christ. So we see Paul's heart here, and friends, this morning, who is it that you're that passionate about coming to know Jesus? Paul's obviously very passionate. Who do you want to see come to know Jesus that doesn't? Who do we as a congregation, as a church, who are we that passionate about? Can you think of someone or a group of people? 
I hope you can, but if you can't, I ask that you simply ask God for that passion. None of us in Christ should be without passion to see people come to know Christ. I think one of the main reasons for the decline of the church in our country is we've lost our passion for the gospel. For me personally, I have a growing passion for two things. One of those is that the disengaged youth of our culture become on fire for Jesus. You know, a dozen, a dozen students following Jesus can transform a school or a community. And we're blessed in this community to have a lot of students following Jesus. I want to see some more, though, right? And so that's one of the things I'm becoming more and more passionate about. And that has long-term effects on our culture. If a generation comes to know Christ, those will be the ones leading us in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and teaching our kids and our grandkids. And that's an important thing to keep in mind. The other area where I, where I seem to be growing in passion a little bit is seeing a fresh wind of passion blow through the long-standing faithful church in this country so that we would come to life in a radical new way to take on the call of the Great Commission in our lives. Because it's not for somebody else to do instead of us. It's for all of us to do together. That's what it means to be part of the body of Christ. So who are you passionate about? Who's the person or the people that you, you just desire to see come to know the saving love and grace of Jesus Christ? And then finally this morning, how does your life overflow with praise? We have pain. We have questions. We have doubts. But we also have Jesus Christ and his promise. We have an experiential reality through God's presence in our lives through the Holy Spirit that can and will sustain us, that can and will overflow us with praise. And we have a faithful God who fulfills his promises. So, in the midst of all the tension and brokenness of the world, how can you be overflowing with praise to God? Consciously and intentionally, not by accident. How can you open your eyes anew to what God is doing in and around you in your life? How is God blessing you? What are the promises that you need reminding of that bring you hope? My prayer is that we can be a people with grateful hearts, eager hearts, committed hearts, and hearts that are ready to be a part of what God is doing today and tomorrow in our lives and in this world. So this morning, let this stick with you. May Paul's passion become our passion because Paul's passion is God's passion right and may we look for and embrace the joy that comes in God's promises when we don't have all the answers when we're faced with broken branches and uncertain futures our God is still a God of hope and promise and goodness and he loves us and that's our reality in Christ let's pray Jesus we thank you we thank you that you you're a kind gardener who is willing to bring in as many people to your flock, to your tree, to your garden, whatever the metaphor is that resonates with us, Lord. You're happy to do it. And Lord, if there's areas in our lives where we have failed to see your kindness or embrace your kindness, I pray, Lord, that would become real to us this morning. That we would be thankful. 
that we would recognize your love for us. Also your sternness, but your love. Lord, I pray that anywhere this morning where we are lacking hope, that you would give hope and peace. Open our eyes to what you are doing in our lives and how you are sustaining us and how you are growing us and how you are working in our lives and in those that we love and in our world. And finally this morning, Lord, we, um, we need to be passionate people that take after your heart. And my hunch is not, not all of us feel that passion. Not, the, not that it's just a feeling, Lord. It's more than that. But we want our hearts to be passionate for people to come to know Jesus Christ. Not only to grow when they already have faith, but to come to have faith for the first time. Lord, I pray that that would become part of our DNA here at Emmanuel. That would become part of our focus, part of our legacy as your people in this part of Iowa. Lord, would you give us that passion? Would you give it to us boldly and clearly so that we may bring some other people onto this tree by your grace? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.